fun. We'll get through this. We'll get through this quick as we can. I'll just quickly pray. Lord, I pray, um, Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts, open up our eyes, our minds, open up our spirits to the challenge that you want to throw to us today. And uh, Lord, as we go from this place, I pray, Father, that we would know what it is that the Holy Spirit did in our life this morning when we came to church and we gathered with these people, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. That was a nice quick segue out of morning tea, wasn't it? Just sort of straight into it. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews, we've been talking about the benefits of God. We started several weeks back and, and uh, uh, so I kind of locked us in to a series on the benefits of God. I, I, I hate doing that because now I feel like I'm locked into a journey that God told us to go on, but I'm trying to say to God, oh, I want to talk about something else, but no, we're going to keep going down this pathway. And we've been talking about, out of Psalm 103, forgetting all his benefits, stirring ourselves up, reminding ourselves about the benefits of those of us that call upon Jesus, those of us that are in the kingdom of God. How many of you know life should be different for those that are filled with the... If the Holy Spirit has filled my life and he is inside of me, shouldn't my life be somewhat different to a person, for example, that is not filled with the Holy Spirit? Is that a fair assessment? Do I have access? Oh, yeah. Do I have access to things in God that perhaps somebody that hasn't walked through the door of salvation yet may not have access to? They have access to it, but the access point is grace by faith into relationship with God. And that opens up things for us. And I think that as believers, our lives should be different. If, if I came to Christ and my life is exactly the same as it was before I came to Christ then I feel like I'm missing out on something. Because nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say that when your sins are forgiven, it's a ticket to heaven and that's all there is. Just life will remain the same, you'll have the same struggles, the same limited access to power that you had before you came to Jesus. But one day you're going to go to heaven. Yay! Isn't that awesome? That's not the picture that Jesus painted. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He was speaking to living people. In other words, he's speaking out there in the streets, talking to a bunch of people that are not yet in relationship with him, and he's saying that I've come to give you life. It wasn't biological because they had a heartbeat and blood flowing through their veins. They breathed in oxygen out, carbon monoxide like the rest of us. But he's talking about a quality of existence this side of heaven. And so God should make a difference in our life. Amen? Well, I think so anyway. Feel free to leave. (laughs) No, don't. Um, You might miss out on something. So we've been looking at from Psalm 103 the benefits where where David stirs himself up and says, forget not the benefits of God. And we covered uh, forgives all your sins and last week we started on heals all your diseases. Now last week, uh, sorry, week before last when we were away, um, awesome um, message last week too, by the way. I got amazing feedback from what what the Lord spoke to people through what you you said. So um, get your next one ready. Two weeks ago, we began looking at this aspect of healing, and I wanted to get all the difficult questions out of the way first. And the difficult questions are this, yes, not everybody in the Bible was healed. Trophimus, Epaphroditus, Timothy, I can mention people in the Bible that did not get completely healed, that we're aware of. Who knows what happened outside or after Paul penned his letters, we don't know, but what we do know is for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit wanted us to know that there were some people in the Apostle Paul's life that didn't get healed. 
Okay? So either, if healing is a covenant right that we hold on to and God has to give to us, then Paul was unaware of it at the time. Paul must have been unaware of it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said to Timothy, just take a little wine for your problems. Paul would not have said that I, I, I ended up with some kind of sickness and infirmity. That's how I ended up in Galatia preaching to you people. He wouldn't have left, uh, I think it was Epaphroditus sick in my letters. Some things would have been different. So I wanted to address all that stuff last week to acknowledge, yes, we don't understand everything, we don't have all the answers. But the question remains, is our God a healing God? And I think the answer is unequivocally, yes. Yes, he is. At the end of Jesus' life, when Jesus commissioned his disciples, he told them to go into all the world and what? Preach the good news. He told him to go and preach the good news. Tell everybody about the sacrifice of Christ. Tell everybody that because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can have a relationship with God. He said, go and tell everybody that because everybody doesn't know it. But wrapped up in that same commission, he also mentions in, in, in Mark, points out, heal the sick. He mentions heal the sick to the, to the same people that are getting this message, preach the gospel. He's also saying heal the sick. Matter of fact, I went through all the, the commissioning passages in the Bible. I used to teach on evangelism. Uh, in Youth with a Mission, I went over all the commissioning passages and I looked at them all and looked at the amount of times that he says preach the gospel. He actually says heal the sick more than preach the gospel when he commissioned people and sent them out. You'll hear heal the sick more. So there's a power upon us to preach the gospel in a convincing way to people where God would take those words, open their eyes and let them feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there's also a power of God that flows through us when it comes to physical healing and, and, and seeing people set free from physical bondage. Does it happen all the time? No. Has everyone I prayed for been healed? No. But where do I get my theology on healing from? Where do I get my perspective and opinion of God from? So I want to talk a little bit... <coughs> excuse me. Piece of donut. Love donuts. It's not that bit, obviously. Um, to go back to, to Hebrews 11 and verse 1, and I want to have a little bit of a look at this morning the question. I want to ask you a question. Where do you, get, where do you get your perspective on God being a healer from? Where do we get our theology on God's ability to heal from? Where does it come from? Because it's important. Where does your faith take its cues from when it comes to the supernatural power of God? Now, I believe in a supernatural God. I wouldn't be here. If God was not supernatural, I wouldn't be here. I'd still be in my sins. Because Jesus would not have risen from the dead. How many of you think that's a supernatural act? All the wrong things that I've done could not be paid for by somebody 2,000 years ago. That's a supernatural act. So God is a supernatural God. Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 1 and 2. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says to the audience that he's writing to. He says this. Arise, church, born for more. <laughs> and then after he said that, he said this. Uh, go, to, go back to Hebrews chapter 1 for me, can you, please? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. That's okay. We're going to get to that one at the end. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke when? Spoke when? In times past. How did he speak in times past? By the prophets. So in times past, the writer of Hebrews is saying, let's draw a line in the sand here. In times past, God spoke to the nation of Israel. And he spoke to us 
by giving his words to these men, women called prophets. And those prophets would speak the word of God to the nation of Israel. And they would be led by that. They would be led by God through the words of the prophets. David, uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Samuel, go back through your Old Testament. You'll see all these people that are prophetic voices where God would speak and they would lead the nation. These individuals didn't all have a personal relationship with God like we do in the New Testament. God spoke to that nation and he led them through prophets. But then look what happens. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, verse 2, has in when? These last days. How many of you think these last days would signify where we are now? We last days or previous times? I'd say we're last days. Do we agree on that? In these last days, God spoken to us by what? His son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So once upon a time, God spoke to prophets who led the nation. They wanted to know what God was like, what God was thinking, what God looked like. The prophets would tell them. And they would see through the words of the prophets who God was and what God was like. Moses would hear from God and he would go to Israel and he would speak. And that was their interaction. They would hear the words of Moses and they would get an idea and form an image of what God was like through the words that Moses spoke. But he says in these times now, the last days that we're living in now, God doesn't necessarily speak to the whole nation through prophets. I'm not saying prophets don't exist. What I'm saying is this. I don't take my cue from a prophet because I have a relationship with God. Okay? So I know that when the the prophet comes to town, everybody wants to go and they want to hear the prophet and they want a prophetic word because they want that prophetic, that prophet person to tell them exactly what God is saying to them. Hey, God can do that if he chooses to, but guess what? You have a relationship with God. You have that same spirit inside of you that he has. You have access to the same word of God. Okay? I'm not saying that the prophets don't exist. They do and they're a valuable part of church life. But what God was saying here is don't treat prophets today like they were treated in the Old Testament. They are not bringing the word of God and telling you all your, your, your direction and it's not the same as what it was. The prophetic office in the New Testament is edification, exhortation, comfort. That's what it is. I don't want to get into that now, but it's confirmation, edifying, exhorting, comforting. That's what the prophetic office does in New Testament for another time. But the point I'm making here is that in these last times, he says that he's spoken to us by his son. So here's the thing. You want to know what God looks like. Look at the person of Jesus. You want to know what God thinks about things? Then look at the person of Jesus. You want to know God's perspective on a topic or an issue? Look at the person of Jesus. John puts it this way. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with us from the beginning. Who is the Word? It was Jesus. Jesus is the living Word. He is a manifest, physical, tangible picture of the Word of God to us in the New Testament. So we want to get our theology on something. Let's go and look at Jesus. Look at the life of that man. Now with that in mind, let me tell you two things that are very clear to me in the Bible. Number one, Jesus, to my knowledge, did not put sickness on anybody. I can't find anywhere in this book a passage of Scripture where Jesus went putting sickness on people to teach them lessons. Jesus did not do that. And if your brain's ticking over going, yeah, but I can give you all these Old Testament passages where he did, haven't got time to go into that, but that was the old, this is the new. I don't get my theology from the old covenant, the old agreement between a nation and God. I get my uh, theology between the new covenant or the new agreement between individuals and God. 
There's a big difference. God does not, Jesus never went about putting sickness on anybody. And the second thing, Jesus did go about removing sickness and healing people. So he never put sickness on anybody, but he went about his entire ministry healing people. And I'm not just talking about healing the sin-sick soul, the, the broken heart. The, I'm talking about lepers. I'm talking about people with terminal diseases. I'm talking about people with maimed and twisted bodies. He went about and he healed people. And not only did he do it, he commissioned his followers after him when he left. He said, you'll be filled with power by the Holy Spirit, so you will go and do the same things that I'm doing. You will go and preach the word of God and you will pray for the sick. Anyone else read that in their Bible? Our God is a healing God. And he calls us to be a healing people. So if we want to know what God's nature and thoughts are like, look at the life of Jesus. That's a good starting point. John 14, 9, Jesus said this. He said, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you see me having compassion on sick people, when you see me releasing healing into physical ailments, you're seeing the Father. When you're you're not seeing me put sickness on people, that you're not seeing the Father do it. It's not the nature of God in the relationship he has with the church in the New Testament to put sickness upon us. It's the nature and character of God to remove sickness from us. Colossians 1.15, speaking of Jesus, says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's the image of the invisible God. In other words, you want to know what God is like. Look at Jesus. It's not rocket science, is it? It's really easy. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Look at the life of Jesus. Listen to the teachings of Jesus. Listen to the heartbeat of Jesus. See the compassion that Jesus had for the down and the out and the destitute and the lost. See the power of God flowing through that man to break every bondage of Satan, to set people free and to bring about physical healing and deliverance. Our God is a healing God. If we take our cues from the life of Jesus, he's a healing God. Last week we looked at, two weeks ago, sorry, we looked at Matthew 17. And I just want to bounce a little bit off something in that story again. Matthew 17, Jesus goes up on the mountain, Mount Transfiguration. And while he's up there, there's a, a, a father who has a boy who has epileptic seizures. And he describes it in great detail. He, 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 he seizes my son, my son shakes and he falls even into the fire. This is a terrible thing. He says, I brought him to your disciples to heal him, but they couldn't. They couldn't. Matthew chapter 10, we read Jesus saying to the disciples, sending them out, going, I'll give you all power and authority over every demon spirit and to heal diseases. Matthew 10, they get the power. Matthew 17, they can't heal the boy. Jesus comes down. Jesus heals the boy. That tells me something that I'm uncomfortable with, but it's a reality. Jesus, it was the will of God to heal that boy, but his people couldn't get it done. That's an uncomfortable reality for me, but I see it in the Bible. It was the will of God that this young boy would be healed by the disciples. That's why Jesus gave them power and authority. But they got in that situation and it didn't happen. Now the same story is recorded in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9 we get the same story. See, 
you get the same stories in some of the, the different Gospels, but there'll be things added and things left off. The reason they do that is because the writers are appealing and writing to a particular audience, a particular, excuse me, target audience. That's why some stories go, but why is that in there? Why did he leave that out and so on? Well, because they put in by the Holy Spirit the stuff that was relevant to the audience they were writing to. If I'm talking to my wife about a football game, I'll, I'll give her the relevant information. The Roosters won. That's all she wants to know. If I'm talking to Daniel, I might say, oh, um, you know, I'll go into great detail and, and then Cuba Cronk put this kick through, came sideways off his foot and it was about to bounce out and then the winger jumped up and flicked it back and I might go into all this detail, but if I'm over here with this target audience, I'll just go to the Roosters one again. But they're both true. They're just two different camera angles of the same story. And in Mark chapter 9, we get a different camera angle of the same story. Now, Matthew 17 verse 19 to 20 says this. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. This is after they prayed and nothing happened. Jesus came healed the boy. They came privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And here's what Jesus says, and it's uncomfortable. Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, I love that. That excites me. That passage there gives me so much hope for the future. Because all Jesus wants is a mustard seed. He's not asking us to be mighty men and women of faith. He's just saying, if you can just muster up a mustard seed, I can do wonderful, wonderful things with a mustard seed. Maybe next week I might talk about what I think a mustard seed looks like. But for now, I just want to encourage you in this. He knows our humanity. And all he's saying is, I'm just, all I want you to do is develop a mustard seed and give that to me and I'll do the rest. I'll breathe on that and I'll do the rest. Just come up with a mustard seed. But he says, because of your unbelief. And then he goes on and explains a couple of things to them. I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm uncomfortable to think that maybe some things haven't happened in life, maybe because of my unbelief. I'm uncomfortable with the reality, but I see it. Go to Mark chapter 9. The boy's father is also struggling, as you would. And it says in Mark chapter 9, verse 23 to 24, that Jesus says to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cries out and says with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The disciples struggled with unbelief. The father struggles with unbelief. But I love what Jesus says to the father and what the father says back. Because I think the father's response is exactly where most of us live. Jesus says to the father, if you go back in the story, how long has this boy been in this state? This father is aware that Jesus and his disciples can heal this kid. That's why the father brought him there in the first place. He knows what Jesus can do. And Jesus uh, uh, says to him, look, I can do this, yada, yada, yada. The guy says this, Lord, I believe that you can heal my son. I, in other words, I believe you have the power to do this. I know if you can, I, and we're all here, I know if God said let there be and there was, if he really did that, and we believe that, if he did that, then surely healing A broken arm is not that big of a deal. Lord, I believe that you can do this, but help my unbelief that you will do it. I know what you're capable of, God. 
But there's a question mark on whether you're capable enough to do it through me, in me, with me, whether you're willing. There's so many question marks. It says, Lord, I believe everything you're saying. Help my unbelief. And I think every one of us here, most of us here, if I was to ask you to believe God can heal the sick, you would amen and say yes. But then if I put a sick person in front of you right now and said pray for them, you might struggle. You might find it hard. It's easy to be a mighty man of faith. I found this in my own life. It's easy to be a mighty man of faith when everything's happening for me. And then when it stops happening, something happens. Something happens. My faith dissipates. Speech changes. All of a sudden I start coming up with other theologies and possible reasons. Because I don't want to face the reality that, well, maybe, maybe my faith level is not where it could be. Maybe there's room for me to grow in faith. And one thing I do know very clearly from the Bible is this, and I don't understand it and I don't like it, but it's there. When Jesus found faith, he did a lot more than what he could do when he found unbelief. I don't like it, but I see it. It's in the Bible. The Holy Spirit wants me to read it. Jesus is full of compassion. So here's what I want to say. Don't interpret unbelief. Don't interpret unbelief wrong. How many of you know Jesus was full of compassion? Everything Jesus did, he's motivated by compassion and love and grace. How many of you have sat in rooms or heard people say, use these phrases that Jesus says unbelief, and they use it with this aggressive Almost like Jesus became a different person. And when he came down and the disciples said, Lord, why couldn't we heal it? It's like he turned to him and said, because of your unbelief. Or maybe, based on what I know of Jesus, maybe he turned and he said, because of your unbelief. Maybe when the father was there saying, saying, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you think Jesus was going, help you run? Or do you think that Jesus looked upon that man and went, I can help you with the unbelief? See, I don't think when Jesus came up against unbelief, he necessarily got judgmental and critical. He's saying to the disciples, you'll need a mustard seed. My expectation level on you is not up here. I'm not expecting you to be supernatural faith giants. I just want a mustard seed. It's all I'm after. It's all I'm after. And so here's the question. When it comes to believing in a healing God, what is forming my faith? Where am I getting my faith from? Your faith gets formed up here. And there's a big difference in the Bible between the sin of unbelief. Anyone ever heard that mention, the sin of unbelief? Have you heard that? The sin of unbelief, let me make it very clear for you. The sin of unbelief is a deliberate choice not to believe, regardless. In other words, I don't care what scriptures you can show me. I don't even care what actual practical life exists. You could put a person that was raised from the dead and stand him in front of me. I will choose not to believe. I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was crucified, buried, resurrected. I know it in here, I know it up here, but I choose not to believe. That's the sin of unbelief. How many of you know most of the unbelief Jesus dealt with was not the sin of unbelief? 
The unbelief that Jesus is dealing with here, if you go back to the Greek, can be interpreted this way, a weakness of faith. A weakness of faith. In other words, you have faith, but it's still in formation. And when Jesus is saying to his disciples, because of your unbelief, guess what? They must have had something. Because they laid hands on the boy. And they started praying. And they were believing. They must have had something. This man must have had something. Because he actually brought his boy there. He travelled to wherever these disciples were. And he presented the disciples. And then when, he got a, when, when the disciples couldn't do it, he hung around long enough and waited for Jesus. He had to have some type of faith in him. So unbelief was not uh, a, a decision. This type of unbelief was not the sin of unbelief. It's a weakness of faith. How many of you are humble enough to admit I'm, I'm, I'm weak in my faith? I've got weaknesses in my faith. In other words, I've got faith, but it's still being formed. What's forming your faith when it comes to the healing power of Jesus, the healing power of God? I want to throw three thoughts at you, three things that could potentially be forming your faith. Here they are. Number one, the world around you. Is the world around you forming your faith? How many of you know that the world loves to, to anything that's supernatural? We want to scientifically explain it away, medically explain it away, rationalise it away, so there are no such things as miracles anymore. As a matter of fact, the only thing that's a real miracle, this miracle is the sunrise. You ever see, hear that beautiful sunrise? We call it a miracle. That's not a miracle. That's a sunrise. Just a pretty sunrise. But when you start talking about supernatural things, we live in a scientific age that wants to come up with reasons and rationalise and work out everything. I read a story not too long ago about a young boy who was sitting at school and his teacher got up and his teacher was very anti-Bible. And the teacher began to explain to these little kids about 10, 11, 12 years of age how the, the Red Sea did not actually part and uh, you know, God didn't part the Red Sea and the children of Israel walk across uh, the other side. Then he went on to explain why. Because science has found there's a part in the Red Sea where the water is only about six inches deep. And so at a certain time of year when it was six inches deep, that's when uh, Moses took them there and they just walked across six inches of water and got to the other side. And this little boy said, well, my goodness, sir, that's a greater miracle than we ever imagined. The teacher said, what do you mean? He said, then God drowned the entire Egyptian army in six inches of water. (laughs) It's a miracle. It's a miracle. What's forming your faith? Is it the world around you? Because if you listen to the world around you, here's what they will tell you. Even if they have a semblance of God inside of them, here's what you'll be left with. You'll be left with a God that's made in your image. You'll be left with a God that's made in your image because it's too hard to face up to the fact that, well, what does it mean if I'm made in the image of God? That raises the expectation level of my life, raises the expectation level of my experience, so I'll rationalise God out, and if there is a God, he's just as powerful as you or me. Let's take all the supernatural out. What's forming your faith when it comes to God being a healing God? Is it number one, the world around you? Or maybe it's number two, your own experience. Your own experience. Well, I've never seen anybody healed. Therefore, God doesn't heal. I've never seen anyone raised from the dead. Therefore, God doesn't raise the dead anymore. I've never seen blind eyes open. I've never seen a leper cleansed. Therefore, because I have not experienced it, it does not happen. Guess what? Somebody told me that I've got a brain. I've never seen it. I've never experienced it. Apparently, there's a country called America. Is that right? I don't believe a word you're saying, Cheryl. I've never seen it. I've never been there. I don't believe in America. How many things do you believe that you have not experienced in life? 
Who's been to the Grand Canyon? Do you think it's, think it's there? How many of you believe in the power of how many of you believe in the power of gravity? That if you jumped off this and put your arms in the air and said to infinity and beyond, you're still going to come down and splat. How many of you believe that? How many have experienced it? Only Jeff. Enough said. Two. You're an elite company. Your own experience. Are you allowing your own experience to form your opinion of whether God is a healing God or not? In Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 6, an interesting story. Jesus goes back to his hometown. And we all know the story. He goes back and he's been doing these miracles and all sorts of stuff. And when he gets back amongst his own people, what do they say? Oh, here he is now. Hang on a second. Isn't this Jesus? Isn't this the son of Mary? Didn't he play cricket with our kids? Didn't he come over and have egg sandwiches for lunch when he was a boy? Didn't he? And they rationalised their own experience with him. And because that's what they had experienced of him, that's who he was. And the Bible, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, it goes on and it says that he could do, didn't say didn't want to, it says he could not do any miracles there because of their unbelief. He went there wanting to do so much, but because they took their own uh, theology of his power from their own personal experience. See, Jesus didn't heal sparrows when he was 12, like some of the legends, you know, the kids would take their gherkin sandwiches to him at lunch and he turned it into a hamburger and stuff. He didn't do any of that stuff. He was just a little boy. He was just a man. He was a carpenter. I'm sure that when he scraped away at the wood, he would have cut his fingers and gone, you know, Splinters and all that sort of stuff. And they're going, but that's the experience. That's who he is. And so because of their own experience, they actually stopped Jesus from doing what he wanted to do. Where were you getting the cues for your understanding, your theology of God as a healer? Is it coming from the world around you? Or maybe it's coming from your own experience. Just like these guys. You know what? I love, used to love doing this when I'd go around to different places in YWAM teaching on evangelism and stuff. And I would ask them, how many of you have ever seen the sick healed? Prayed for someone and seen them healed. And nobody would put their hand up. One or two. And then I'd ask the question, how many of you have actually laid your hands on a sick person and prayed for them? And it would probably be that one or two who put their hand up. If you're not going to pray for the sick, how are you ever going to expect to see it? If you're not going to take the mustard seed and just put your hands on somebody and step out in faith and say, well, I can't heal you, but hey, in the name of Jesus, let's see what happens. How are you ever going to see it happen? And so we don't do that because we rationalise that he's not a healing God. Maybe we took our cues from the world or maybe we take it from our own experience. Maybe I prayed for somebody once and they didn't get healed, so I've now decided my experience is when you pray for people, they don't get healed. So now I don't pray for the sick anymore, God's no longer healing. And we come up with all kinds of theologies. Why God is so different now. I don't think God's different now, I think the church is different now. I go back and I read the book of Acts and I look at that book and I go, you know what, that's who we are. That's who we are. God has not changed in the last 2,000 years. He hasn't given up on humanity. He hasn't gone, oh, well, you know, they were scientific now, so I withdraw my power because they're not going to believe anyway. They're all rationalising everything. I don't want to do anything anymore. What do we do now? He's having a board meeting with the angels going, how are we going to reach these people? And Jesus walks in and goes, Dad, leave it alone. Preach the gospel, heal the sick. Raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, now freely go and give. But where are you getting your cues? Where are you forming your image of God as a healer? Is it from the world around you? 
Is it from your own personal experience? Or number three, is it from the Bible? Because I'll guarantee you this, a good reading of the New Testament, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, will be enough to convince any open-minded person that Jesus Christ is a healing God and that God is still healing today and that he instructed his church and the generations to come to take the power of the Holy Spirit and don't bottle it up inside of you like it's just there to make you feel warm and fuzzy. It's just there for you to speak in tongues when you're praying privately. Or it's just there for you to get goosebumps during worship. No, the power of the Holy Spirit is resonant upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Take it out there. Go and tell someone about Jesus, see what happens. Go and lay hands on a sick person, see what happens. Give God the opportunity that he needs to do the stuff that he wants to do. Because he's bound himself to us. He's bound himself to us. There is no plan B. Open your Bible, there is no plan B. You are plan A, and there is no plan B. I used to pray, I used to say, God, I wish I was, uh, uh, God, would you be to us the God that you were to the church in the book of Acts? And very clearly one day, God said this to me Would you be to me the church was, what the church was to me in the book of Acts? Let me get back to you on that one. You mean you want me to love my enemies? You want me to take seriously the fact that people are alienated from you and that they've only got X amount of time to hear this good news and to get their heart right? You want me to take that serious? You want me to seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and trust that you'll add everything you re- you re- you're serious? I just thought they were good verses. <laughs> I just read them and go, wow, that's awesome. You mean you want me to live it? You know, I'm amazed at the moment we've got these friends of ours that are uh, 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 10 weeks. We've been out of our house for 10 weeks. 11 weeks. 11 weeks. They've got a little boy. You know what they've done? They have taken him out of his bedroom. He's sleeping in a closet in their room. They've given us rooms in their house. 10 weeks. I know that they've had some people. When are they going? When are you going to get... You need your space, blah, blah, blah. And all that's true. But you know what? They are living the Christian faith. They are being hospitable to brothers and sisters. I'm even challenged. I'm there and I'm going, God, would I do this? It's a long time to have your family shuffled around and strangers in your house. I, I, I hope in my heart that I would, but I'm really challenged by that. But you see, we're called to live this stuff, not know about it, not learn about it, not educate ourselves. We're called to live it. That's what separates us. That's what makes us different. I believe the church in the book of Acts saw what they saw because they lived the way they lived. You know, one of the things that Islam would say about Christianity in the West, the reasons why they mock us and think don't take us serious, if you've ever been in a Muslim community, Islam is their whole life. It's not a part of their life. It governs what they eat, how they talk, where they go, how they dress, whether we agree with it or not. Islam governs every decision of their life. And they look at us and go, Christianity is a part of your life. But it's not your whole life. I'm challenged by that. I go, Lord, dare I open my heart and say, examine me. Because I want this, but God wants this. And he says, if you give me this, I'll give you that. Give me this and I'll give you that. 
What is forming your perspective, your opinion? When it comes to believing in a healing God, is it the world around you, your own experience, or the Bible? Matthew 8, I'm not going to go there. You read it yourself. The centurion. Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, My son, my servant's sick. And Jesus says, Right, yeah, let's go. And, Jesus, and, and the, servant, the, the centurion says to Jesus, No, don't. Don't have to come to my house, Jesus. I know enough about you to know this. You just say it. You just say it. You don't even need to come. You keep doing what you're doing. Just say to me, you see. And Jesus stops and he turns and he goes, I have not found faith this great, not even in the entire nation of Israel that has a history and a heritage in the God Yahweh. And that centurion turned around and walked off home. And the Bible says in that hour, the servant was healed. He didn't need to see it. He didn't experience it. He just said, Jesus, you tell me. Because I get my theology from you, Jesus. I get my opinion and my perspective on a healing God from you, Jesus. You look me in the eye and you tell me that it's impossible. And I'll walk away going, these things are impossible for God. You tell me that he's not worthy. And I'll walk away and say, you've got to be worthy enough. You, you tell me he doesn't know enough theology. And I'll walk away and go, well, he doesn't know enough theology yet. But you tell me that he's healed and I'll walk away. I don't even need to see it. I'll turn my back on you, Jesus, and I'll walk away. No, no. What great faith. Where does your theology come from when it comes to a healing God? What are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the world around you? Are you going to believe your own experience? Or are you going to believe the word of God? Hebrews 11.1, 1, you can put it up now. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is a substance, people. It's not some wishy-washy, airy-fairy thing. It's substance. It's something. It's practical. It's alive. It's tangible. You can see it. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. Where we're staying, there's this little dog called Dora. Dora the dog. She's about this big. And she's competing with the dog called Wren. Wren is the same type of dog but younger and full of energy and yap, yap, yap. And Dora is the older dog going, I'm over this. Last night I was sitting at dinner. I'll finish with this. <laughs> I'm sitting at the dinner table and here's Wren sitting down, looking up at me, right here, just off my left leg, looking up at me. Dora, sorry, wagging the tail, waiting. I sat there, I had this beautiful roast meal last night that, that our friends cooked up. I'm not giving that to the dog. But you know what? It sat there for about 40 minutes while we ate. And you know what it did the whole 40 minutes? It wagged its tail and stared at me, believing 100% that it was going to get food off my table. Now, you know what's amazing about that? Not only did I not give it food last night, it's done that to me for 10 weeks. (laughs) 10 weeks. And I haven't given the, the dog a thing. Ten weeks of sitting at my feet, believing that I'm going to give it something and not getting it. 
But getting up the next day and sitting at my feet and believing I'm going to get it today and not getting it and then sitting at my feet the next day and believing and believing and sitting and believing and sitting and believing and not getting and believing and sitting and not getting and believing and believing and believing. And I looked at the dog last night and I've been saying to God all week this week, God, just give me some kind of picture, an illustration of faith that I can take to church. And I was looking at the dog last night and I said out loud at the table, there it is. There's your picture, your illustration of faith, Dora the dog. How many dogs, after two nights of not getting my food, would have gone, well, this doesn't work, I'm out of here, I'm not going to do that again. What about three nights? What about a week? What about two weeks? How many people have you prayed for? Do you pray for one and go, well, this doesn't work, I won't do it again? Maybe you pray for five, maybe ten. Maybe you believe that he's a healing God for a week, a month, and then you stop and you go, well, it doesn't work, I don't believe anymore. Or do you go again and again and again and again and again for one reason only, the Bible is very clear that my God is a healing God. And I get my cues from what the Bible teaches me. Not my own experience, not the world around me. God is a healing God. Amen? Who believes that this morning? Let's, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet for a second. Finish up. I want to pray for us. When we're finished here today, we're going to hang around up the front. And if you've got sickness or something in your body, we want to pray for you. Okay? I don't care if you've been prayed for 10 times, 100 times, a million times. If you've got a mustard seed of faith. A mustard seed looks like this. A mustard seed is, I'm going to just walk up the front and ask for prayer. If you don't want to come up the front, I'm going to turn to someone else and go, would you pray for me? That's a mustard seed. That's all God wants. Just acknowledge God, hey, can someone pray for me? Laying your hands on someone and saying, let me be the one that prays for you is a mustard seed. That's all God wants is a mustard seed. And God can take those seeds and do something wonderful. So we're going to open up the front, the end of church today, and we're going to start making this a little bit more of a regular thing at church because I believe that with all the faith in this room and the gifts in the people here, hey, surely this is a good place to test the waters. No one here is going to judge you if you come forward for the next 500 weeks and don't get healed. No one's going to judge you for that. This is a safe place. This is a good place to practice. So we're going to do it. So I'm going to ask you to come forward at the end of, the, end of this and, and we're going to pray for you and we're going to believe that God's going to heal you. And guess what? If it doesn't happen, I'm going to sit at your feet. We're going to pray again and again and again over the weeks and days and months and years and I don't care. We're just going to keep going because one day I will be healed. Whether it's in the body or out, I don't care. But I'm not going to throw away my faith and belief that it can do it this side of heaven just because I haven't experienced it or just because the world tells me it doesn't happen anymore. That Bible is very clear as a healing God. So I want us to do something. I want us all to put our hands out in front of us. I'm going to pray for all of us this morning. I believe there is a gift of healing. There is a gift of healing, 1 Corinthians 12. But I also believe that there is not only just a gift of healing, there's also a commission to heal. Jesus, to the disciples, when he commissioned the disciples, he said, heal the sick. The gift of healing, some people have a gift in certain areas, they have more success in certain areas, and so on. That's a gift of healing. But I believe it's within the power of every one of us to lay our hands on somebody and see healing come, because that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus said to his disciples, not the not apostles. Not, not this gift of He said disciples, and we're disciples of Jesus. So, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill our hearts with, with a fresh way right now? Would you, would you touch us right now? Would you motivate us? Would you empower every person in this room? 
that Lord, when we walk out of this place, we would go knowing that our lips belong to you and you want to proclaim good news through our lips and our hands belong to you and you've commissioned us to lay our hands on the sick and that this will happen. They will recover. And God, I pray right now in Jesus' name, if there's anybody here that has built a theology around what the world says or around their own experience, God, I pray, would you break that? Would you work with them as their faith is being developed? Would you show them in the Word of God that you're a healing God, you're a powerful God, that you're present with us, that you want to work in us, that you want to work through us, that you are a God of healing. You declared yourself to be Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord that heals. It's not what you do, it's who you are. In Jesus' name, I pray for every person in this room. God, when we hear of somebody with a headache, or when we see somebody that's sick and injured, that we would open ourselves up to the possibility that you might want to use us to bring healing to that situation, to that person. That you, God, would get ultimate glory as the world sees how powerful our God is. That you're not a philosophy or a theory. You are a power. You are God Almighty. And Lord, I pray for the next seven days. Give every one of us in this place the opportunity to tell someone about the goodness of God, somebody who doesn't yet know how great and awesome you are. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Awesome. God bless you. I've gone a little bit over time. My mistake, but that'll teach you not to come back at morning tea. Don't keep waiting for me all the time. You're big enough people, you know when to come back. All right? God bless you. Have a fantastic rest of the week. Uh, And like I said, we're going to hang up the front here. Love to pray with anybody. If there's any sickness or anything like that, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, Other than that, we'll see you in a week's time or we'll see you in small groups or we'll see you in prayer meetings, whatever. Have a great uh, afternoon, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day.